0: My text comes from 2 Timothy, chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 9, starting in verse 9. Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, and it's my feeling that this is one of the more important books Not to say that the others aren't important, but this is a book that stands out, at least in my mind, as incredibly important for the life of the church today as it was in the day of Timothy. Timothy is receiving this. This is a letter. This is actually a a letter that uh, Paul would have written, and it was going to be taken to Timothy in some way. Now, Paul is in a Roman prison. And yet, even in that prison he was allowed to do, he had some privileges, and one of those was to continue writing. And he wrote a number of the New Testament books from a prison cell. He mentions several who had abandoned him in this difficult time. You see, Paul had wanted an audience with the Roman emperor, and that's exactly what he got. It took him a while, but he got there. And so Paul is in prison, all of his appeals have been finished, there is no more appeal. He has a death sentence hanging over his head. And he doesn't know when that death sentence is going to be carried out, or anything like that, he just knows that it is imminent. And so he basically is is there in a jail cell, probably nothing like the jail cells of today. Several had abandoned him, as I mentioned, because it was a difficult and uncertain time. It wasn't necessarily a good time to be associated with somebody who's going to be executed, especially Paul. Paul had a notoriety about him. Some of these people have moved on to other places of ministry. Paul's death is imminent. The timing is uncertain. And he asked Timothy to bring some things with him, namely his cloak his books, and the parchments. Paul also is telling Timothy, and he does this several times, he says, I want you to remain faithful. Even under these stressful times, even under these most difficult of circumstances, I want you to remain faithful. I want you to be gospel-oriented. I want you to give people hope and help, show them how to be delivered from their sin. That's what I want. And so he's speaking to Timothy. I want to read my text to you right now. It's in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Let me tell you something, folks. The present world does have an attractiveness to it. You can't deny that. And Demas, apparently, somewhere along the way, Demas was a guy that was helping Paul. Demas was a part of a church or, or the community of faith, and he loved the people of God, but somewhere along the way his heart and his mind begin to detour off of that path, and he moved away from ministry, he moved away from the people of God, he moved away from Paul and everything. He has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, Only Luke is with me. Luke is a medical doctor. And he's been Paul's constant companion. Get Mark, bring him with you, because he's useful to me for the ministry. A word about Mark. Mark wasn't always useful. Mark was a... Mark started ministry with Paul and then bailed out and went back home and all of these other things But something began to happen, I think, in Mark's life. And it changed Mark's life. And Paul is saying, bring him. He's useful. A revival that started in his heart. And that's what I'm praying that God is going to do in all of our hearts in these days. That God will bring revival into our hearts. That God will bring a a unique Holy Ghost renewal of our lives. That transforms changes us even though christ may have already changed us there is more change that he would desire mark is useful bring him with me antichicus i sent to ephesus bring the cloak that i left uh, with carpas at troas when you come and the books especially the parchments Uh, paul mentions another troublemaker here in alexander Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You must be aware of him because he greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Paul's a forgiving guy. Paul learned the lesson of Jesus. Paul, Jesus told. Peter, he says, look, you forgive seven times seventy. Paul acquired that lesson. And he made it a part of his life, even though these people are giving him a lot of trouble. Forgive. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, verse 17, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me For his heavenly kingdom, to God be the glory. Amen. Verse 19, greet Prisca and Aquila. These would be names of people that were evangelistic in nature and they were working in the church, winning souls. And the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick in Miletus. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus gre- uh, greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all of the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be to you. Amen. I was reading a article here just in the last uh, few days. <clears throat> One of the lines in it caught my attention. Sometimes the value of reading an entire article is found in one paragraph or in one sentence, and that was the case in this. And it was this. What have you done for God and for his kingdom this year? What have you done for God and for his kingdom this year? Folks, we're just about ready to turn the calendar to the last month of 2017. How many times have you said, I can't believe where time has gone? I, I don't know about you, but I, I keep thinking this, and I've said it out loud probably almost every week to at least somebody. And last week, I, 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 I thought, to myself, it can't be Thanksgiving yet. It just can't be, and yet it was. Time moves on so quickly, doesn't it? Paul had three great friends in the world. Friend number one, of course, was Jesus, whom Paul knew, Acts 27 tells us, basically, it says, for there stood by me that night an angel of God, an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve. Jesus was a friend of Paul. Another one of Paul's friends was Luke. As I mentioned, Luke is a medical doctor that was very faithful, followed Paul, was with Paul, and most likely still with Paul even in his imprisonment. Luke. The other was Timothy. Timothy is prominent in many ways because he was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Paul refers to him as a son in the faith. I think he was much loved by Paul, just by the way you gather the writings that Paul spoke to him and the things he said. So Paul here is the experienced apostle, aged, battle-worn. He'd been in it. You, can't, you can never point a finger at Paul and say, you could have done a little bit more, I think, Paul. I don't know how you could do that. Not Paul. And he had the battle of scars to prove it, too. Beaten, stoned, and everything else. Shipwrecked, what, about three or four times? Something like that. I mean, this guy had had it. He'd been in all kinds of jails. You know, you go to a town, start a church, go to jail. That was sort of the, the motif of Paul. Time had run out in all of the appeals and now he was scheduled for execution. What have you done for God come before winter? That stays in my mind. It resides in my heart. What have I done for God? I think it's worth all of us to be reflective of our lives. I don't think we need to forget the past. I think we need to sort through the past and I think we need to I think we need to be smart about that. But what have I done for God? Have I been faithful? Have I served him to all of my ability? I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. Because this message is for me too. What have I done for God? God has blessed me with a lot of things in my life. And a lot of opportunities, a lot of uh, just many things. But what have I done for him? What is it that counts? And all of these things, I keep thinking of that. Soon, it's, A farmer knows this best of all. Come before winter. I know when my dad was farming, and this has been years and years ago, so farming has changed so much. So much. But I know my dad was always anxious about making sure we had the crop finished by Thanksgiving. That was the goal, to get it out of the, out of the field by Thanksgiving. That's a little different these days, I realize, with different techniques and methods and everything like that. But time flies right along. What have you done for God? Come before winter tells me there are these are days of opportunities. I don't believe Paul is I don't believe Paul is uh, sitting in this prison cell writing this letter speaking to Timothy and I don't, I, don't, I don't get the idea that he's sorrowful and, and uh, just, uh, just feeling so bad that his life is going to be finished and his ministry is going to be done. I don't see that at all. I think when Paul says stuff like, come before winter, I think Paul is saying, take a look at the opportunities that are all around you, Timothy, and look at those opportunities how can you address them? How can you, uh, how can you attack those opportunities and make something good for God? How can that work? How can that work for us in 2017? Look at the opportunity around us. It's amazing. It's incredible. Yes, I know there's all kinds of barriers. There's all kinds of devils out there <coughs> that don't want you to do anything. And all of that business. But I don't, (coughs) we must not miss these opportunities. I don't want to miss out. We're living in a day when churches are being, folks, churches are being planted today by the minute. All over this world, and even in this country, churches are being planted on a daily basis now. I'm talking about gospel preaching churches. Churches that really preach this book, this Bible, are being planted now on a daily basis in America. And it's a wonderful thing. It's an opportunity, we seize the opportunity, and thousands are being won, and opening doors everywhere. I can tell you this at LifeGate, and I'm really, I'm really excited about this, mainly because I believe at every service, not, and granted, we've only had three, uh, But every service, we've seen people come to Christ. That's a tremendous reward. That's a wonderful thing, to make an inroad into people's lives, to see people's lives transformed and changed by the power of the gospel. Jesus knew his time was limited and that it was imperative that his light shine in the midst of darkness of his day And so we've come into this place called 2017, and we'll turn the calendar in about 35 days to 2018, the Lord willing. And this world continues to race toward its conclusion. There's an an over-intensifying urgency. Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We live in a world that acts like it just piled on the toboggan for one last great ride down the hill. People build their lives on an illusion. It's a mirage. If I can taste it, touch it, feel it, then it must be good. And there's emptiness at the end of the day. At the end of the road, there's tremendous emptiness. There's tremendous sorrow. There there is a gaping hole in our our lives, in our hearts, and we don't know what to do with it. So we keep pouring more of the same into our lives. Folks, let me tell you something. God created you with a God-sized desire to know him. And until you know him, until you understand what he wants in your life, that God-sized gaping hole in your heart, right in the center of your life. It's going to continue, it's going to continue to bother you. It's going to continue to frustrate you until God, until God himself fills that with his life. People build their lives on so many things. There's never more emptiness, never more uh, lack of satisfaction, the hurt and the pain. Listen to me, church. This is the time for us to get on with the program of the church, and that's to win, win people to Christ. Believe me, it's not to have soup supper, soup suppers, and I'm the first one in line. Don't, don't kid yourself. But that's not our job. Our job is to win lost people to Christ. I, I saw something last night as checking through some social media. Bonnie Curtis and Brian have a shop at Crossroads Mall in Fort Dodge. And she made a note that on Black Friday, you know when that is, they had a nativity set in the store and a young shopper, and I never did figure out how young that shopper was. I I assume it's older than Judah, but uh, yeah, she's shaking her head, yeah, it was. It was a young shopper that looked at it and asked this question, why is that baby lying in a nest? Do you realize that somebody that doesn't understand what's going on with Christmas, with Christ coming, being born in a manger, doesn't understand it, doesn't know it, maybe never heard it, strange as that may seem? We must tell the story of Jesus. We've got to tell the story of Jesus. You've heard me say this, but I'll never forget the time when an entire family, mom, dad, two sons and a daughter, came forward to give their hearts, lives to Christ. And after praying with them, after they sought the Lord, I said, where do you attend church somewhere? And they said, no, we've never been in a church in our life. There are people like that. There are people like that. Paul said, "Be diligent to come to me quickly." However, I've speculated. I guess I run this. I run this play through my mind. What if Timothy would have waited? What if he had put this off? You know, the pastor of a growing church has a lot of responsibility, and and Timothy had plenty of responsibilities, some great burdens. He faced great challenges of false teachers and all kinds of crazy doctrines that was flying around the church and he wanted to establish quality leadership and help the people to mature in their service and worship of God. Do your utmost, Paul said, to come before winter. Paul asked this young minister to give him a favor. Do a favor for me. Bring the coat because it was probably going to get cold. The books, the parchments, most likely old testament writings probably some of paul's own personal writings and number of things that he might have sent to churches or notes and everything but these would be these would be incredibly important paul look folks paul's a scholar paul's a writer he would want these things these would be like old friends that showed up on his where his cell is or wherever he was He wants these old friends around him because they bring him much comfort. Why should Timothy come before winter? Because I believe it's simple. First, there's a very practical reason. Ships sort of quit sailing during this time of the year because it's so rough and dangerous and and everything like that. It was even dangerous to go on foot uh, in many of these areas. But what if Timothy delayed? What if he'd gone down to the port with these things for Paul, but nothing was sailing? Why? Because it's winter. But what about Paul? I think we can put some words in Timothy's mind and his thoughts here. Well, I intended to go. I wanted to go. I hoped to go. But first I needed to do this. Folks, it's about priorities, isn't it? It really is. And those are difficult. Those are very difficult because there's such a tension, there's always a pull on priorities to move this way or that way or whatever way it might be. There's that kind of attention that comes into our lives. I don't believe this is an hour to hold back. I don't believe this is an hour to say, let's uh, let's <clears throat> let's just hunker down here and weather this storm. And you know, it's just us here, and we feel safe in this room. and everything. I don't believe this is the time at all. Not at all. God is calling us to be bold soldiers of the cross, and people of faith, people of vision, people with discipline, not to squander resources or anything, or even to look at the opportunities that might be before us and say there is nothing. I was visiting with a uh, one of our families, and... Um, You know, I don't think I'm gonna go there, because I might identify somebody there a little close. Excuse me, pardon me. I pick up the newspaper all the time, and I've done that for years and years, decades. Maybe because I used to be in the newspaper business and, and everything, writing for a newspaper early after my college years, but I always glance at the obituaries. I know that sounds kind of weird, and, uh, but I do. I look at the obituaries, and I'm starting to find more people I know dying. <laughs> this is the downer part of this message. <laughs> I get a quarterly uh, newsletter from our denominational headquarters, and they, uh, they list the pastors who have died. And I, it's been my habit to take my uh, magic marker and, and just highlight I'm getting more ink on the page. Now I'm starting to get nervous because I'm seeing names. It's just, oh, I remember preaching for him. And I think, oh, man. (laughs) I look at those names. There's nothing behind those names. You know, this is a great guy. This is a wonderful, (laughs) just a name. That's how it ends up. Folks, my reward isn't here, is it? There's a crown up in heaven. That's where it's really at. It's nothing here. Jesus took three disciples to the garden to join him in a great vigil of prayer in Gethsemane, the night that he would be betrayed. The master's request was very simple. Watch with me and pray. Two things, watch with me and pray. But sleep overtook these disciples. Now, before we get too rough on those disciples, and I think sometimes we do, and I think that's a little unfair. Those disciples were good people. They were good people. They loved Jesus. They had been with Jesus for three years, and they loved doing what Jesus did, but they fell asleep. So I I think sometimes we just need to back off on those guys just a little bit, but there was an opportunity that passed. God is building his church today in the midst of great opposites. We see the gospel in its purity. We see the gospel as the transformative work of God in people's lives. And yet we also see the opposites of things that are a part of our culture today that tear lives to pieces, tear families apart, that pull people in many different directions. But we build our church. We build our church in the midst of that, right in the middle because I believe that's exactly where God wants his church to be built. Because God says, I want a lighthouse that sits on a hilltop. I want it to shine. I want it to be the bright spot in a dark community. Let the church be the church and let it shine. And so we labor in these kind of hours of darkness, the closing hours of time, and yet there's a growing penetration of the light of the gospel. Folks, I'm telling you, if everybody in this room says, I don't believe a word you said today, I'm going to stick with my guns and say the light of the gospel is shining. And it's going to keep right on shining as long as there are people I believe like you folks that are committed to God, that are committed to what God wants, that are <clears throat> that are not just concerned, what's my personal comfort, what's what's this to me or what that whatever it might be, but committed to reaching lost people, helping people to know Christ. I believe there's a great future. I just know there is. And so, I speak this message and say, we have to stay busy. We've got Christmas coming. Christmas, Christmas is well known as one of the greatest period, in fact, the greatest period of the church year for people to come to church. And you know why. And believe me, I'm glad people come to church during Christmas season. Because it's an opportunity for people to really hear the gospel, to hear what God is doing, to know that God is touching people's lives in extraordinary ways. We've got a whole series set up for Christmas that starts next week, right here at Faith. And I, I, I just encourage people to bring people with you. People are more open to coming to church during the Christmas season than at any other time of the year, except maybe for Easter Sunday. And that's if you're serving breakfast. But, um, but they'll come. So ask them to come. Bring them. Have them come. Connie, would you help me out here right at the end? We look at these opportunities, and we ask God, and that's a prayer of my heart. We ask God, how do we do this? In what way do we do it? How do we do this without, we don't want to hold anything back. We want God to work in our lives, to give us his help, to give us his encouragement. I want you to stand with me, sing this little chorus, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true let's sing it together this morning sing it with me lord prepare me to be a sanctuary sing that one more time in a moment Connie but I uh, there's a there's a thought that comes to me it comes out of the book of Hebrews it simply says this harden not your heart in a day of and I'm putting these are my words now those were God's words before harden not your heart in other words don't resist don't don't sort of put a barrier up around your life or around your heart in some way. Harden not your heart. When you see these opportunities, when you hear what God is doing today, don't harden your heart, but let God work in your life. I, I just want to challenge every one of you, every one of you. I I just, I've always believed this with all of my heart, that God stations people, like this whole congregation, is probably I don't know, 275, 300 people in here at least today. And God has you positioned all over this community, everywhere. I can only be in one spot, but you can be everywhere. And God does that because it's his plan to place this light here, a light here, one over here, One back there, one here, on and on. And he's going to send you out of here today and every time we meet. And I want to ask you this. Could you you be so open to God that you would say, Lord, I, I want you to show me somebody this week that I could speak to about their life, about their soul, about God. You don't have to be a skillful presenter of the gospel. God God could take anything. I mean, there's a few examples in here. He took anything. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to have lunch with you today. Zacchaeus was a changed man. And on and on it goes. A woman shows up in John 4 at a well, and Jesus speaks to her. Why shouldn't he speak to her? She's changed. Jesus goes to a community they'd been to often, and there was a crazy man there filled with demon power. And God spoke to the wickedness in this man. And the man became whole, transformed. And he told his whole family, his village, you are the, you are like the, the match head that God wants to strike. And it would burst into flame. And he's going to use you. You know that? He wants to use you. He really does. It'll be amazing. It'll be just amazing. How he does that. Sing it again. Lord, prepare me saying, Heavenly Father, I pray that you take the elements, the proper elements of this message. Lord, I feel like it was kind of scattered all over the place, but take the ones that are important. and Apply it into our life. Apply it into my heart. Apply it into this congregation, into their their daily lives. Father, I thank you that you give us opportunity, and I thank you that you have the greatest desire in the world that every one of us be a living sanctuary of hope of help of light to somebody that truly really needs it so father I pray that you'll use people right here in this church lord I pray for people this morning that have come in here perhaps they're guests or perhaps they've been here many times but The missing piece, they realize, is knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing Christ as the Savior and Lord of their lives. Knowing that Christ forgives sin. Father, I believe it would be wonderful to have people that don't know you to walk out of this place free of sin. Forgiven. Set free. And knowing you. Lord, if there's somebody here today and there's that great big hole, that emptiness of their life, Father, I pray that you'll help them to pray with me. Pray right with me right now. Jesus Christ, come into my life. Save me from my sin. Come into my life and be the Lord and Savior. Father, I believe that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. And right now I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Literally come into my heart and take full control and begin that transformation work. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.